You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Edward Wilms. Uh, he's a postdoctoral researcher at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia. We're going to be talking about EVs, extracellular vesicles, also known as exosomes, and uh, it'll be a very interesting talk. So, Edward, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. Yeah, what got you interested in exosomes? How did they even come across your, uh, your radar? <laughs> Um, I think that this is something that already happened um, during one of my first uh, research internships in my uh, my undergraduate, so my bachelor's, um, when I was studying pharmacy, um, and I got the opportunity to uh, do an internship for six months at a department um, at the University of Utrecht uh, with Raymond Schiffelers, um, and he he basically. Um, introduced me to one of his postdocs working there. We, we started doing some, some basic experiments and getting used to uh, lab skills working with exosomes. So this was cell culture and all kinds of different techniques which are commonly used in lab, but, but we were specifically looking at and, and trying to isolate, um, well, exosomes as I knew them back, back then and extracellular vesicles as people have been calling them now. Um, right. So what, uh, in what context are you studying EVs? So, I'm, so obviously if we look at EVs, EVs are, are um, vesicles that communicate messages between cells. Um, so we, I'm looking at it as a cellular communication mechanism. Um, so cells communicate with each other through, through mechanisms like hormones and neurotransmitters and, and other types of interactions. Um, and extracellular vesicles are one of, one of these recently discovered methods of communication. Um, and then what I'm particularly interested in is um, what we've started to call extracellular vesicle heterogeneity. So this is basically looking at what kinds of different types of vesicles are secreted by cells. Um, and this is and this has become very relevant. And I think it's, it's come up a couple of times in, in the podcast that's, that you've recorded on extracellular vesicles where we have this idea that cells secrete a lot of extracellular vesicles and they all they're all in in the bloodstream and in the body and and circulating and influencing other cells and it sounds like this is a very like unregulated system but i, I don't think nature has intended it to be like that um, so i think there is some level of specificity in terms of how messages are communicated between cells and what vesicles travel to what cell and, and what vesicles are taken up by cells and what functions they carry out. And I think one of the levels of specificity arises from the fact that cells release very specific types of vesicles. Um, so I'm interested in 
dissecting what kind of types of vesicles are released by cells and, and what kind of functions they have. Well, how do you capture the, the vesicles given off by a cell? Can you have it in culture with like a net around it somehow? Where you can <laughs> yeah. you know, scoop up all the uh, EVs it puts out? No, so, so basically we... It's kind of a reduced approach, I would say, like a reductionist approach. So obviously we, we try to look at one cell line. So you culture these cells um, and then these, these vesicles are secreted into the, into the liquid, basically, that you grow these cells in. And then you can right. take, take the liquid and you can do a couple of purification steps, which involves centrifugation. And then what we've been using, classically, people have been using ultra centrifugation. So if you look at, look at the literature, those are... Uh, techniques which um, were originally used so spinning spinning the the liquid that you take from the cells at very high um, speeds and then you're able to sediment these vesicles and then uh, study them um, but we've we've been using a, a technique which is called size exclusion chromatography so basically um, using the difference in size between larger vesicles and the smaller proteins which are secreted by the cell as well uh, you can separate them uh, from these proteins and have a relatively pure preparation of vesicles to study. Well, I would think that if you put two cells together that are the same cell type, you get one kind of vesicles. If you put two different cell types together, you get another one. Um, and then, you know, I guess if you put a, a microbe in the mix, you yeah. may see communication between the, you know, someone's somatic cell and a microbe as well or a virus, or, I mean, there's many different permutations you could do, I guess, initially, just to see major differences yeah. in what the cells are putting out. Or, you know, change the pH with uh, given cells and solution. I mean, you can do, like, I would think hundreds of different permutations to see how things change just to start Yeah, with. exactly. Yeah, this is, this is, yeah, people have been trying all kinds of different things to, to influence the, the, the vesicles that are secreted by cells. Um, but it's very... It's challenging, obviously, due to their their small size. First of all, I think that 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 makes it very challenging to study them. And then also, like I said, because there's all kinds of most likely all kinds of different types of vesicles released, and and isolating these and having pure populations is is a very um, very challenging um, thing to do, uh, which makes it quite complicated even to study them in a in a setting of one cell communicating with it with it so cell e cell a communicating with cell b even that can be quite tricky well why why is it so hard to separate like one cell and one medium and one and another um i mean i think as, yeah what what specifically makes it different difficult is um like for we don't know we don't really know how many types obviously are released by the cell and the, the mechanisms which are used for their secretion by different cells are similar. So if you look at the, the composition of the vesicles, you probably find shared content. So this, this would be um, proteins that are, are, are shared between, between the vesicles. So just like cells are composed of certain building blocks, these vesicles will be composed of certain building blocks. But within that, there are most likely differences and and because because you're looking at it you, um, why why couldn't you have for instance like one cell in a medium yeah and profile what's in the medium yeah and then you know feed it have it sit there for fruit for a few hours and then profile yeah. again how the medium's changed and then maybe again like 
you know, raise the temperature and see how it changes. Yeah, Maybe sure. Start with one. Why not that? You know. You you can definitely do that, and I think there's definitely people try trying these things. Um, well, what so have you seen in the literature? What have people tried where they've they've published results? Yeah. They told them, they whispered them to you, you know, on the phone or something. <laughs> and like, like, what have you seen people do, and what have they learned so far? Um, so one of the things that that people have been looking into, I guess, is is how these, and this is also something that I'm interested in, is how, how these these vesicles play a role in cancer, and then in particular um, the metastasis or the spreading of cancer. Um, so th- this is this is something we can talk about, which which has been quite well studied for vesicles. Um, so in terms, well, so tell of, me what yeah, what's been found there? Yeah, so so this is um so if you look at cancer, we, we obviously know that cancer spreads, and there's so this is what they call metastasis. Um, and one of the the kind of unknowns there is like how how is it how do cancer cells spread? Like, and why is it specifically that, for instance, a, a breast cancer would spread to the lymph node or to another distant organ. Um, and what what's, one of the processes which is involved in this is what they call a, a pre-metastatic niche formation. So it, it turns out that before the cancer is actually spreading, there is already um, kind of a, a, a niche formation going on in, for instance, the lymph node. So that the, the environment of the lymph node is already changed to make it more susceptible for the cancer to grow there. Um, so this is, this is this niche, so a pre-metastatic niche, which is formed before the metastasis actually occurs. And what has been shown is that um, extracellular vesicles that are released by cancer cells are able to induce the formation of this pre-metastatic niche. Um, and, what is, and what does hypo- the formation look like? Is it, are there lymph cells that... Uh, yes, yeah, so this... Like- are there cancerous cells literally sitting in the lymph? Like, what does this niche look like? No, so this is the, the vesicles, not not physically the, the cancer cells. This is the, the vesicles secreted by the cell. They're traveling to, for instance, the lymph node, and they are influencing immune cells in that micro, in that environment. Or they can, for instance, induce um, angiogenesis, so the formation of blood vessels, uh, once the cancer cells arrive at that distant site. So this is the kind of processes that, that have been shown to be influenced by extracellular vesicles. All right. So what's interesting then is there must be a reporting back of, you know, is it ready? Is it time now to metastasize? Otherwise, why would they start feathering the nest, you know, for the cancer cell yeah. in the first place? Yeah, interesting point. Yeah. So what's the mechanism? But, you know, perhaps EVs, they're taken into cells. I mean... What are the range of things can they do? Can they change the gene expression of that cell? Can they change the outer membrane proteins that are produced in open channels or closed channels? I mean, can they change the functionality of the cell completely? Like, what yeah. can they do? I th- you know, well, can they I think cause that cell to send back EVs saying yes, successful, uh, you know, successful migration. Yeah, I, d- I don't think anybody has actually looked at that. As far as I'm aware, nobody has really looked at you know what what's when when is this is there a signal that actually goes back like is there a communication in the reverse in that sense so that that's actually quite an interesting point um i'm not sure yeah i mean again i tell you what i well i've said this to other people when i think about a cell like how does it 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 has to okay i know it's going to get metaphysical but Mm -hmm. it has to know that it is itself and it would communicate i would guess in different ways with like again if i'm a hepatocyte yeah i'll know 
I'll, I'll know, okay, I'm this kind of cell. And if I'm going to communicate with other hepatocytes, I would package specifically specific EVs for them. But if I'm going to communicate with some like distant organ, yeah. how do I even know how to communicate with that other organ cells? Like, how would I know that? You know, so I have to have essentially a language that yeah. tells me what to package up and where and how to target, you know, distant uh, parts of the body. But again, I'd have to get feedback that it worked yeah. somehow. Good. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, and then all the incoming stuff, like as a cell, how do I know what to let in or what not to let in? And when I yeah. do let something in, how do I open up the box and like see what's inside yeah. and and yeah. say, okay, uh, this is this and this is, you yeah. know, how, how do I get the package and read the from message? You know, it's, oh, it's from my neighbor, the bone cell, and here's yeah. what the message says. I mean, there's, that's like all communication and discernment. Yeah, very. Yeah, this is exactly the point that that I guess want to what I want to raise as well. Like we 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 see all this and we think this is how it's happening, but there's. Sh- there should be alert a certain level of specificity, and like I said, I think one of this this one of the the, the levels of specificity might arise by a certain signature that is present on a given EV. Um, so, and we haven't we haven't been able to show that properly yet. Um, so, what what kind of vesicle is able to end to really enter a cell and deliver its messages, and where is there differences in where certain EVs deliver their message to, which is obviously highly relevant because if you look at, just to, to change the conversation a bit, if, if we look at how people are thinking of using EVs, right. um, we all want to use these extracellular vesicles. I think this is a big part of literature and a big uh, big part of the discussion and that is going on is how, how can we use these extracellular vesicles to deliver certain uh, therapeutics or, or drugs into the cells and here it becomes obviously very relevant to know which signature on the vesicle which type of extracellular vesicle is able to do that trick because that that's the kind of vesicle you want to um, package your therapeutic in well we we don't have an answer to that yet yeah one way is to look at it that way but the other way is what is the primary way by which a cell takes in a vesicle? Like, where is that discernment happening? It mu- it sounds like it's happening at the the outer membrane, the lipid bile yeah. layer, right? That's where it's happening. Yeah, there's, I think there's probably surface interactions going on, which which allow a cell to um, decide if this vesicle is even allowed into the cell, yes or no. And then, so what if yeah. you were to profile? Uh, is another huge job, but, but <laughs> what if what if people were to profile ideally all the cell types, let's say in the human body, you know, their outer membranes, what does it look like? And and then we could make a, all right, uh, this kind of cell, what other kinds of cell could it potentially communicate with, or what would it need to be able to make a vesicle? What properties would it have in order to enter into these other kinds of cells? Perhaps then we would see a pattern like, Oh, okay. These, the membranes of these kinds of cells are highly selective and, very little will get in while these other membranes they'll take anything in you know yeah i think it's a very interesting approach and there are some some people that have looked at um so uptake of vesicles between different cell lines um so again studying in a in a more reductionist approach so looking at one cell line if you feed this cell line vesicles how many are taken up looking at another cell line feed the same amount of vesicles how many are taken up but i think 
dissecting from that information what actually dictates the yes or no signal is very difficult. And I think it's especially difficult with, with extracellular vesicles because you're not just looking at one protein. You're looking at a composition of proteins. Uh, you're looking at a lipid bilayer with different lipids. You're, look, you're looking at sugar, sugar molecules or glycans, which are on the surface. And then there's also the content so that there's nucleic acids inside the vesicle which might have might have effects on on where this vesicle ends up or do, what what trick it does um so i think that yeah the approach you mentioned is obviously things that, that we are we in the field are thinking about as well but it's it's very complicated well maybe you should take a very special circumstance like you know uh, right before an egg is fertilized by sperm i bet mm-hmm. you the sperm are spitting out EVs and the egg is spitting out its own, and yeah. there's I, I I don't I mean again it's just pure speculation like, but yeah, yeah more, more like a more reduced reduced approach and a more um, reduced setting in that sense so the human body is already so many different cells that it's quite difficult to to study. I think this. that may be a good approach because that's a very rare and unique event. Yeah. So that under those conditions you may be able to much faster elucidate what's going on because I bet you there's a communication happening. I don't think it's just Oh, you know, sperm number 47 no. is like just able to push its way into the egg faster and stronger. Sure, I bet sure. you there's communication and discernment on what will be let in. Yeah. Yeah, no, most likely. Yeah. And I think the, the approach you say, like going, go studying in a, in a more simplified environment might be, might actually be what we have to do to start understanding this. And I think, you know, or studying it, this is something that we're interested in studying in a more like a single cell um, level and even a, a single vesicle level. So these are kind of um, techniques and approaches that we're, we're starting to get to grips with because the, the the techniques that are used in our field are getting better as well. So we, we're getting down to resolutions which allow us to look at look at these vesicles and look at their composition and even single molecules on on the vesicles. So I think it will be able to do these. We will be able to do these kind of things, but. I haven't seen anybody really doing it yet. So. Well, you know, I mean, you, you want to do this. So what, what experiments are you cooking up in your brain? What do you think will be the uh, best way to go at, go at this? If you're <laughs> willing to reveal it, you know? Yeah, sure. No, no. I can talk a bit about the work that, that I've already done and that I'm doing okay. at the moment. So, um, like I said, um, I'm interested in this heterogeneity. So looking at, at what kind of different, subpopulations we call them so what different types of, of vesicles are released by cells and i think you've, you've probably seen some of the original literature and, and a lot of people there talk about you know a couple of major populations that we've been studying so you mentioned uh, exosomes already so it turns out exosomes is one of these populations that people have been studying over over the last couple of years and the exosomes have a very specific biogenesis like a, a formation pathway in the cell which which has been which is is known like there are we know some of the proteins that are involved and we know some of the the processes that happen in the cell before this uh, vesicle gets secreted and is called an exosome and then you've probably also seen things we call micro vesicles so people have been um using these as a, as this term for the for the vesicles that are released directly from the cell membrane and another type of vesicle you hear about a lot is called apoptotic body so this is a an extracellular vesicle that is released when a cell undergoes apoptosis. So, so maybe communicating to the, the rest of the environment, hey, 
I'm undergoing apoptosis. Here's this is what happened. This has happened to me, and here's some information that might be useful to you. Um, we we don't really know. Um, but I, what I'm then interested in is taking these extracellular vesicles, and then I have a I use an approach which with size exclusion chromatography, where I'm able to separate all the EVs that are secreted by cells and have more distinct um, size ranges within that. So I can get different populations of vesicles with different ranges of sizes. And then I'm looking at these different populations and characterizing them for their protein content. So what is, what is unique about them um, and looking at their functionality. Um, and we, we are then looking, in this case, I'm using this in, in uh, the setting of ovarian cancers, looking at how ovarian cancer is able to spread um, to the abdomen. So that, that's one of the, the, pro the projects I'm working on. So what have you found so far? Like, what are some of the, you know, the thoughts that have come into your mind? What are the observations? Yeah, so like, I, like I've said a couple of times, um, I think not, not all vesicles will have the same function. Um, so there will be different types of vesicles released, which have different functions. And one of the things we're looking at is um, how do these vesicles play a role in ovarian cancer spreading? And what we see there is, um, so what, what people have shown is that you have your, in this case, in ovarian cancer, you have the, the primary tumor in the ovary and the, the metastasis or the spreading is able to happen directly through the abdomen. So via what they call the peritoneal fluid. And so there is a direct link there, not, not via the, the blood, bloodstream, but directly into the abdomen. And um, what happens is the primary tumor um, sheds cells. So the cells become released from the primary tumor. They travel through the abdomen and they have to establish there in order to form a secondary tumor. So in order to establish a new tumor um, in the peritoneum. Um, and we have observed and other people have shown that that extracellular vesicles are able to support adhesion of the free floating ovarian cancer cells to the abdominal wall in that in that in simplified way. Um, and I'm well, looking at they, how how do they do that? Do the EVs like stick to the abdominal wall or do they yeah, exactly. so, so, of it? Yeah, so we we think a part of it is probably using it as an adhesive scaffold and um, really? Yeah, and this is also, if we look at the, the proteomic content of the vesicles, you can really see that there is high enrichment of adhesion molecules. Um, and this, th these properties of the vesicles have, have actually already been exploited in a, in a mouse model, so where uh, researchers have looked at, um, can we use these EVs to influence where the ovarian cancer spreads? And so what they did there is they... They made a, a scaffold, which they coated with the extracellular vesicles. So they isolated extracellular vesicles from, uh, in this case, um, also ovarian cancer, um, coated those extracellular vesicles on this scaffold. Then they surgically implanted that scaffold into the abdomen of mice um, and injected ovarian cancer cells and looked at the spreading of the ovarian cancer and the survival of these animals. And what, what they saw is that these these mice, they lived much longer. And if they looked at where the ovarian cancer cells were after um, sacrificing the animals and looking, looking at how the, how the spreading had happened, they, they could see that the ovarian cancer cells had mainly migrated to this scaffold, which was coated with extracellular vesicles. Um, so they called it 
so they call this approach, they call it a, a pre-metastatic niche mimic. So it's like mimicking um, the pre-metastatic niche formation. And, and this basically shows you that extracellular vesicles have some kind of, play some kind of role in, in mediating where these cancer cells end up. So that's quite, quite interesting. Was there a, um, have you tried to do that? Have you tried to coat, well, not you, but the researchers, did they try yeah. to use um, a certain amount of scaffolding? Like, was there a threshold below which the cells wouldn't adhere? There was, quote unquote, too little scaffolding? Um, I'm sure that they probably done like different different ranges of concentrations. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, this is this is something I'm... We're going to try with it. Like I said, we're, we've isolated different subpopulations of, of extracellular vesicles from ovarian cancer. So we, we're working together with this lab, uh, which is based in Spain. That's um, why that may be important. If you only put up a little bit of scaffolding and the cells don't adhere, that means there is definitely a communication back and a sensing of when is it, quote unquote, enough to go ahead yeah. and now send out cells to adhere i would think you know because mm. if it doesn't vary by the amount of scaffolding then no but if it does that might give you a major clue yeah well like yeah quorum, this is like quorum sensing in a way but a different kind of quorum sensing you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah i like this i like the idea that you say about but looking at you know how how does it actually signal back but you know for, we, we we actually this signaling might not occur through extracellular vesicles so this is also something to take into account like you know, we're trying to link all these things of cellular communication up to one specific mechanism, but obviously there's different mechanisms which are at play in the, the cellular environment. So this is also something to take into account, I think. Do the um, do the EVs decay if they're out of the cell for a period of time? Like, do they change? Do they, I mean, I don't, yeah, so you, they're you mean really they're alive, still... are they? I mean, like, what, what happens to them? How long do they stay before they fall apart? Yeah, good question. So there, there's stability. So in, in actually, like I, I don't know how it, there are there are some studies out there which have used isolated EVs. So they 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 purified EVs and then used certain labels, um, injected them into mice and looked looked at their their bio distribution. So where where do these vesicles go? How long are they in the circulation for? Um, and I think I'm not a hundred percent sure about the details, but it's it's like most nanoparticles they they're not in the circulation for that long like it's quite yeah it's it, none, none of them stick around for that long so there's certain organs in which they accumulate which i think is liver and, and kidney so the, the main organs that are actually involved in in, in the excretion um, but otherwise the, the, they're not actually around for that long but when so when they do adhere though and they become a scaffolding like mm -hmm. Do they preserve their form, or do they turn into a uh, a semi scar tissue? Like, yeah. what happens to them? You know, do they? If a lot of them are there as a scaffolding, do they attract the immune cells? I mean, do we know what the fate of them are once they've made a scaffolding? No, we're, we we don't actually know that. Um, no, I, I don't know what what exactly happens, and if there's different, maybe also different cells which adhere to them, um, which is very likely. Um, but there might be some. Because they are ovarian cancer-derived vesicles, there might be some level of specificity towards ovarian cancer cells. Um, yeah. But we, we haven't looked at this, and I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, there's like, yeah, there's 8 million questions. Like, you know, tumors yeah. are heterogeneous, right? So Yeah, as well, yeah. Are they, is the tumor, 
I mean, which cells, I don't think they're randomly shedding cells, maybe, but let's say a tumor has, uh, I don't know, a hundred different kinds of yeah. you know, gene expression variations in it, in the cells. Mm-hmm. What kind of cells are there any predominant kinds that end up to going to form the metastasis once the scaffolding is there? Is there any preferentiality that, or not? Yeah, I think that's, that's I, I don't know in terms of, uh, is this actual, like, there's there's more there's likely ovarian cancer cells which are more like more uh, prone to spreading. Uh, so I've seen I've seen some some information about this about in the literature, um, but I'm actually not sure if these. You would assume that these are also the cells which end up spreading and adhering to your scaffold. So that that's something which would be very interesting to check. No, but even if you just confined yourself to the ovarian cancer cells themselves, again yeah. the tumors themselves are heterogeneous. So yeah. to call something an ovarian cancer cell, there's many different forms of that. It's not just one type of cell. They're not monolithic, you know? So is there any preferential subtypes of ovarian cancer cells that would stick to the scaffolding, you know? Do they, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's just so many questions. Like, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of questions, which keeps us busy, I guess. <laughs> Lots of research yeah. to be done. So. A lot, yeah. Huh. So, all right, what, what's, um, well, I, I've been asking you all the questions. I mean, what's uh, any insights that have jumped out at you since you've begun this work? Anything that really, like, you know, blows your mind or any directions you see to go in in the near term that you're working on? That I'm working on myself. Oh, my. Um, yeah, even in well, partnership, but what, you know, what, yeah, specifically, what are you going to be doing? Uh, so, yeah, like I said, I, I recently moved um, moved lab. So this is my first um, postdoctoral research position and, and moved from the UK to Australia. And, and the lab that I'm currently working in is, is very interested in Alzheimer's and, and neurodegenerative disease. And one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is, is come up with a, an early detection mechanism um, for Alzheimer's or neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and, and I think there as well, it's the same. We're trying, we're fishing for a certain signature, which, which could give us a clue about if there is development of Alzheimer's going on. So kind of trying to, to optimize that by looking at the different types of vesicles that are released and, and finding a more sensitive way to, to actually isolate and look at the, the specific vesicle, which is relevant in that setting. So, so I think development of a biomarker, which, which we would call it. So a way to have an early detection and, and, Look at, for instance, efficiency of treatments. That that that's something I'm quite um, excited about. Mm. Okay, I don't know what would be a, like a really exciting result for you to achieve in the next few years with your research. Yeah, I think for me, um, getting a better insight in, in the different um, types of vesicles and and working out which interactions and which. Um, protein composition or which which signature of a vesicle dictates what a vesicle does so like i said before like i don't think all of the extracellular vesicles that are secreted by a cell are doing the same thing so that there must be some kind of something is dictating what they do Um, and this this could arise from the fact that they release different types could could also actually arise from the fact you know the the context the context in which this vesicle is reaches so it's like almost like a nature nurture discussion it's like yes this vesicle has a certain makeup but it also depends on the environment it finds itself in so for instance the cell it reaches or the state of the cell it reaches 
on what that vesicle is actually going to do. Um, but for me personally, I think I would really like to find out what what is governing this. So what kind of what kind of characteristics are dictating what the vesicle does, and then that also will allow us to have um, a better insight and in how to use these vesicles as therapies. Like because like I said, like not all of these vesicles might be might be able to enter the environment of the cell. Some some of them might not even enter. They might just signal from the outside. Um, so what, what is unique about the vesicle that goes into the cell? And can we take take those characteristics of that specific vesicle and, and make, make a, a, I don't know, almost like an artificial vesicle which has those characteristics and can we then use that vesicle to, to deliver drugs into cells? I think that, that's, yeah, that's something I would like to contribute to. Well, um, how many EVs do cells put out? Do they put out like hundreds or thousands or millions? Like any sense of the rate, the number? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but it, it's from from what we see, it's a lot. Like, and I think this is also what what has been been blowing my mind. Like, I don't I don't think they can all be doing the same thing. Like that, I don't think that the nature has intended well, it to be that messy. I'm sure they're not all doing the same thing, but no, yeah. Again, like, what does that tell you if if a cell puts out what I just you know ten different kinds of vesicles? Yeah, but it puts out a million of this and five million of that, and yeah. only forty five of these or two of these. Like, have you seen vast differences <laughs> in the number of EVs, even though they're different types? We we yeah, not specifically in that sense. We do observe that there is definitely a release of the more smaller population of vesicles. So there's definitely more of those that the cell secretes. And but what what is actually dictating that, or if that makes them more or less important than the larger vesicles, we we don't know. Well, sorry, and then you said some butt off from the membrane, but some are created yeah. internally. Where are they created? Like the endoplasmic reticulum? Like what? In a particular organelle, or like, where do they arise? Yeah, so, yeah these are these are um, organelles that are involved in that, and the plasmatic reticulum. And then there's like the formation of the what they call the multivesicular body. So I think this is something that has come up in your previous podcast as well. So it's basically a structure that is formed into which um, vesicles are formed as as what they call intraluminal vesicles. So there's lots of tiny vesicles within that multivesicular body, and then that multivesicular body fuses with the cell membrane and the vesicles that are released from that multivesicular body are then called exosomes. Um, is the cell releasing them in big bunches or one at a time? I'm not sure. I'm actually like, I think there's, there's probably multiple multivesicular bodies in a cell at any given time, and, but how they actually, what the dynamics of release are, I, I don't know. These are all things which haven't been studied um, in that much depth, to be honest. Yeah. Are there, I mean, you know, out of all these questions, are there groups looking at all of these or are there still, is there so much to do that? And is it so new that most people are not looking at most of it? Like where, where do you see the focus, you know, like in the EV world, I don't know if you're, you know, if you have your eyes on a lot of the literature, you probably do, but where are the main thrusts in the EV world do you see right now? Um, well, I guess it depends also on what you, what what kind of part of the the EV world people are studying? I think, like I said, it's it's a very interesting field and also something very interesting to study because it's not it's not just one protein. It's not 
it's a, it's a, a, a like a, a collection of signaling molecules which are in in one package so there's a lot of people like i said that are focused on uh, using these vesicles as as what they call a drug delivery tool so it's like can how can we can we use use these vesicles to deliver medication so there's even a lot of a lot of companies looking into this now and then yeah. there's people who are very interested in in the underlying so what we call the biogenesis so what is how are these vesicles formed? So this is like, for instance, Cruthilde Tarie. She's quite a, like a big name, a well-established name in our field. And she's she's really looked at, at, at the biogenesis of exosomes, so really dissecting this process that I just described with the multivesicular body, sorting of vesicles and the release upon fusion with the, the plasma membrane. So that's, you know, this is... And in that in that case, that's Paris. So that's France. So there's a lot of people working on this, which which makes it... Yeah, like I say, it's a very exciting field, and it, it depends on what what area of research you're interested in, what where where the main focus is. Okay, well, very good. Um, to Edward, <laughs> I know I know all I did was ask like eight million more questions than could be answered, but you know, hey, that's an issue. Yeah, no, no, that's that's. I mean, it's very. It's like I said, it's very interesting to discuss all these things, and I think there's a still yeah. a lot of. A lot of unknowns. I think that's that that what that's what makes this field interesting as well. But there's a it's highly promising, obviously. Like you say, like oh, yeah. cells are releasing lots of these vesicles, and surely there must be something, some, a reason why they're doing it. So I think, yeah, it will. There's not any. Um, there's not any poor souls out there who say it's all random, is there? There probably is. <laughs> well, there probably is, and I think you know if you look at this, this is something that comes up. If you look at you know how we thought about these vesicles originally, people are like, oh, this is just cellular debris. So it's just you know the, the basically it's the cells putting out their trash, right? Um, and I think still maybe a, a, a fraction of the vesicles which are actually released might be trash. Like they might actually not be doing anything. But we can't, like I say, we don't know. Like there is there is no way at the moment to, to distinguish between those two because we haven't been able to really look at like a single vesicle level. So it's like I say, like, why, why is this, why is this one specific vesicle able to enter a cell and deliver a message? Why are they all able to do that? Or is it just one, one particular vesicle? And what, what is unique about that vesicle compared to the one that wasn't able to do that trick? So I think the, these are the coin, kind of questions which, which really excite me. And I think, you know, are very relevant to answer. Okay. Well, very good, Edward. Um, I think we're, you know, at the end. Uh, what, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you and ask you 10 billion questions or <laughs> suggest collaborations or, you know, work with you and stuff since you're in this Yeah, group? Yeah, no, sure. Always happy to, to answer questions or, or give more people more information. So I think um, I'm, I'm happy to pass on my email so you can include that in the, like the notes and that okay. come with the podcast or even LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So if people want to reach out through that, uh, happy to do, happy to connect right. over LinkedIn as well. Well, very good. Well, Edward, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much for inviting me. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. 
you may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.